This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Escape Hatch, the podcast formerly known as Doom Pod. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. Get in the f***ing pool and work on your breaststroke, you f***ing kid. And it's the return of the editor of Fangoria, Meredith Borders. The porn is like 10%, and the rest of it is like epic battles, so it's pretty good. It's time we finally cover the fantasy children's metafiction classic, The Never-Ending Story. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, and a Patreon where you can support us and unlock exclusive perks. Links are in the show notes. And now, without further ado, the never-ending story. All right, so my first question, it's August 7th. So does that mean that all of Europe is officially on vacation this month? Like what is happening over in Are Germany? Are they ever? <laughs> yes. Um, so I just moved um, like three days ago. I moved from Cologne to Bavaria. And uh, when we got to our new house, uh, it hadn't been painted yet through some sort of uh, dispute between <laughs> no. the, the former uh, tenant and the landlord. And the oh, landlord no. was like, there's nothing to be done about this. It's August. <laughs> There's oh, no one wow. in the entire region who could paint your house. And um, we just, you know, pouted until they found somebody who the one guy in Germany who's not on vacation came in and painted. It was like, you know, we needed it. But, but I was yeah. just like, oh, this is the worst possible time to move. Um, but, you know, we're moving. So. <laughs> Is it true that in Germany, when you move, there's like no kitchen appliances, like no stove? You have to nope, bring your own no stove. No appliances at all. Um, we huh? we bought we bought the kitchen from the previous tenant. So the tenant okay. who bought the dishwasher and uh, stove and everything uh, allowed us to buy it from them because they were moving to Austria, where they do have kitchens. In their <laughs> I see. Uh, fortunately, but you know, also no other appliances, but a lot of the places that you rent don't have toilets either. And thankfully the, what is this? What, what kind of system is this? They just take everything with them all the time. And it's also true of license plates. Like we got a license plate for our car and it's just our license plate forever. Even if we get new cars, that's just like our license plate. So, I mean, I will say my, my, uh, my Toto washlet is very nice and I might take it with me when I move, but you know, a Toto is a really, really good toilet and, and. (laughs) With the whisper closed lid, yeah. I, yeah. I miss my Heated seats, I miss the American yeah. toilets. Yeah, I miss uh-huh. the American toilets. <laughs> the <laughs> German ones are just nodding. like, this is where you pee, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very utilitarian. Don't German toilets have a thing where there's like a ledge for the poop to fall on? Like the poop uh, is like more do. visible in the bowl. This is ho- this is yeah, like okay. No, I, no this th- is so Megan, true. And Megan, thank God. you gotta cut this. Hold on. I have to get to this question because I just found out over Christmas at a vacation home that we rented. So fortunately, none of the places that we've stayed long term have had that. But we were in a vacation home. And I was like, what is this? And we Googled it. And it's apparently because they're very concerned and they just want to like make sure their poop is healthy. And so it's like, oh, they just look at it really quick and they're like, everything looks fine. And then they flush it. A poop inspection plate. That's what they're up to over there. (laughs) That's what they are up to. Did not see that coming on a skate patch. Nope. 
there's so much about this country that I say, I did not see that coming. Like <laughs> once a week, I say that. Mm. But you did get to take a little vacation recently in Bavaria. So tell the folks where you went. Yes. Um, I have really outdone myself. You know, I love doing homework for you guys, but um, I you know, mm-hmm. moved to Bavaria on Thursday. Today is Monday. And I realized that our new house is an hour away from the studio where they filmed Never Ending Story. And so mm. on Saturday, my husband and Matt and I went and uh, I got to ride the screen used Falcor, <laughs> which was so, amazing. so thrilling. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's, he's, he's huge. You have to climb up on him. There's like a safety harness. He is not moving. Um, and they've also removed his like pearlescent scales. I guess they're right. like too fragile. Sure. So there's just like a, like he's furry. And then there's like a weird, like nude uh, leather strip down his, mm-hmm. his mental, middle. But um, it was still pretty special. And like his eyes were really emotive and I did tear up. And then you, wow. uh, and this is like right, right when you first walk in the gates, you know, it's, did you get to there. scratch behind his ear? Oh, I absolutely <laughs> scratched his ears. I 100% yes. went straight for his ear. And there was a little bald spot. Really. I was at the first one. Yeah. Like everyone's going for right. his ears. Uh, and then through the tour, you go through, um, there's also like, you see the rock biter, you see the swamps of sadness. Like there are parts of the set. Wow. You see the sphinxes wow. and all their bucks wow. and glory. Uh, and then there's also, it's, it's a little bit like the Wolfgang Peterson like museum. Yeah, you're also, yeah, yeah. You, the, the, the entire like, entire freaking u-boat you're i went into the boat and like climbed through the holes and like used the periscope and all of that uh and then also is it a real u-boat yeah well there's um there's a model that they use for obviously but also the model is there and then there's just a huge ass u-boat that i mean the entire thing is like you walk through every room it's all practical like i went through the bunk room and the whatever the mess hall i don't know the terms um, where the food is. <laughs> I, I went to Chicago, the mess hall. Yeah. I went to Chicago, like the science museum there. And they had a U-boat, um, that we captured in like 1943 or something. And literally like there was a fight between us and them and we won and they abandoned the U-boat because it was going and then set it to sink. And our guys got off our boat and jumped into a sinking U-boat and figured out how to like make it not sink so that we could capture it so we could get the log books and we could get the the stuff to decode. Man, that's uh, that's fast thinking. Jason, would you jump onto a, a sinking submarine if it would help the world? Just to tie it back to a previous segment, <laughs> I was just watching some TikToks by Smarter Every Day, who I really like on TikTok. And he did a whole series on how do you poop on a submarine that I found very <laughs> fascinating. So. I actually noticed on... On the Das Boot boat, um, which is actually pronounced Das Boot. Uh, something That's what I, I meant to say. I meant to say Das Boot. <laughs> Even having lived in Germany 18 months, I learned on the store that it's pronounced Das Boot. <laughs> yes. Um, there, there was no toilet on the Das Boot boat. So just, just mm. so you know, not even Tough a one. ledge, no poop Tough inspection one. ledge there. Yeah. You got to You got to go put that in the swamp of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> and the spaceship from Enemy Mine. Oh, that's amazing. That was really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend it's called Bavaria Filmstat and it was so rad. And I mean, the entire thing there and back. It was like a four hour excursion. It was. Uh, oh, my God. Great. I'm so jealous. This is great. Break. Listen. Escape Hatch listeners, this is the caliber of guest we get when we Hell cover yeah. a movie as important as The NeverEnding Story. We get a correspondent in Germany who will put off <laughs> her own house painting to <laughs> go and inspect the set. Yes. 
to bring sure back this live reportage. Amazing stuff. And I have, I, I have one more brag, which is that I'm currently in the attic, much like Bastien, only because it's the only part of our house right now that we could like soundproof uh, quite enough. But I was like, oh, shit, that's perfect. Yeah, I'll totally do this from the attic. Yes. So, Hell I'm yeah. Very on theme. Do you have a jelly sandwich like in a in a plastic <laughs> sack that you can you can and an eat apple? a bite yes. of? Yeah. I'm gonna have one bite and say, "Oh no, not not all of it." Not done too much. (laughs) We have a long, we have a long podcast to go. (laughs) So true. We really do. I know. I'm just conserving my my whiskey here. I didn't bring an apple. (laughs) Oh, good. Nice, nice. Well, we are so excited that voice everyone knows uh, because this is, I think, your fifth or sixth appearance on Escape Hatch. But that is senior editor of Fangoria, Meredith Borders. Welcome back. Woo woo! Thank you. Thanks, friends. I missed you. Good to see you. We missed you a lot. Absolutely. It's great to have you back. Um, And so, yes, we're covering tonight the never-ending story. That is going to be uh, an amazing discussion. People have been quite anxious uh, as to how it's going to go. My first viewing of this film, especially after the debacle uh, with (laughs) Flight of the Navigator. So stay tuned. Just a few minutes away, we're going to get into the never-ending story. Jason, next week. Ben Rhodes. Oh, that's great. The return of Ben Rhodes. The return of Ben Rhodes, co-host of Pod Save the World. And he also worked in the White House with Jason. And he is covering with us, you know, kind of like a timely theme, Spike Jones AI relationship classic with Joaquin Phoenix, her. Amazing. I Whenever you say like what worked in the White House with me, and particularly if it's like Ben Rhodes, I feel like the necessity to clarify, like I sent <laughs> tweets for the government while I was there and like, you know, like updated some web pages. Ben Rhodes was deputy national security advisor and like orchestrated right. the Cuba opening. Like that's what <laughs> Ben worked on. It's like the, the normalization of relations with Cuba. I was sending the tweets about Cuba. So we had slightly <laughs> different jobs. We all have a Equally role to play. important. Yeah. Yes. We all served. Some of us gave yes. all, all of us gave some. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So that's next week. We are very excited. Jason, Mm. Hatch News, dude. We have Hatch News. Would you like to know more? Hatch News. So let's start. We reported, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago that Dune Part 2 is potentially moving out of 2023. Following up on that story, we had extremely sus rumors um, that it's not moving. And this this was per World of Real. R-E-E-L, your place for alternative movie news. Yeah. Well, there was that, and then there was the interview with the IMAX guy. Yes. The IMAX, the IMAX bro. That's CEO. Like, that's more legitimate because he's like on the record and is the IMAX guy. With um, the analysts and, he, and the, like the analyst call and the investor call. Yeah. He's like, uh, he, he's, he's putting a pretty strong stake in the ground that the date's not moving, which is great. Um, but we're just gonna have to wait and see how this shakes out over the next month. I know mm-hmm. folks are I'm very anxious. Dune Pod slash Escape Hatch Faithful are very anxious because our screening kind of hangs in the balance on this one. Mm. But you're just gonna we're all just in the ride. We're all taking the worm trip together and we'll see how it uh how it pans out. Meredith, if it happens, I hope you'll consider coming over in November. <laughs> uh come on over to San Francisco for a little visit. Uh, because a I know you're going to be on that red carpet. Just a just no. a hop over. <laughs> no, no, we just rented we yeah. rented an IMAX theater uh, for a private screening. I would I would 100. I would 
100% take that flight. That sounds really good. That'd be amazing yeah. if they did that in 70 millimeter uh, print. That'd be killer. Mm. So stay tuned. We'll have more details on that as it comes. If it happens this fall, coming alongside Jason, we've waited for this part of the icon line from Lego, the Lego oh, yeah. Ornithopter. This looks oh. so good. I thought it was a fake. I thought this was AI when I saw this thing. It looks so I'm good. I'm looking at it right now. I'm ready. I'm ready with Ooh. four mini with four minifigs, apparently. So this isn't like a whole like Dune program that they're going to have like a bunch of sets. It's just in their icon line, a one-off um, similar to like Back to the Future. Because this Dune part two is as important as Back to the Future, basically. Yeah, Definitely. I think that's right. That makes sense. As, as important as Back to the Future part two. <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least. Um, next piece of Dune news, uh, Jason, we've played Dune Imperium and announced today a standalone expansion, Dune Imperium Uprising. Ooh, what's what do you get with that? It's set during Dune Part 2, uh, and so you have Paul versus uh, Shaddam, and you have team play three on three, um, and it's mm. coming both to tabletop and to Steam as a digital release. Mm. Mm, love it. That sounds great. So, yeah. So maybe we'll get some games going. That'd be that would be fun. Additionally, Jason, let's say hi to some new Discord members joining us this week. Third place, Chuck, McFracky, and Jack Ferg Six. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to all those great names. We're we're grateful to have you. It's happening. All right. Should we wait? Should we mention before we get into it that folks can subscribe to our Patreon? And if they do, they get a variety of great benefits. You should mention that. Sure. <laughs> Just get something to consider. Just something to consider. <laughs> that's hey, as listen. much of an ad. <laughs> that's the plug. I don't I'm not good at ad reads. Yeah. I thought that was great. Thank you. It was it was great, Jason. So we do have we do have a Patreon. It a Patreon. It is up and running right now. We have our group of engineers. They have a private channel where conversations are happening all the time. Also, mm -hmm. I'm running a Blade Runner 2037 role playing game asynchronously, sometimes extremely asynchronously in the Discord. Um, but that's been popping off um, and is a lot of fun. So if folks want to check that out. Also, you get early access to episodes. Um, so you're the first to hear what is going on. So join us uh, and join our Patreon. Mm -hmm. Join us. Boom. All right. Are you all ready to do this? Let's go. Let's do it. Here we go. The never ending story is the promise to keep our dreams alive. Bastion Bucks is a precocious boy with his head in the clouds, building an imaginary world where he can hide from his sadness at the death of his mother. Ridiculed and tortured by bullies, he finds solace in a mysterious book which tells the adventures of a noble young warrior, Atreyu, and his quest to save his realm of Fantasia. Bastion is thrilled by this tale full of animals, magical creatures, and a powerful and benevolent luck dragon. But when he discovers that his own decisions will determine the fate of this world, Bastion will have to resist the forces in his real life, telling him to stop dreaming and plant the seeds of imagination that will bloom to become the never-ending story. Boom! It's amazing. 
I, did anyone else not know that Bastion's last name, his full name was Bastion Bucks? Bastion, I did Bastion, not know Bastion Balthazar Bucks is his full name. Whoa. Bastion Balthazar Bucks is an amazing name. <laughs> B-U-X. <laughs> really you. good and all. Yeah. Um, I also, I know this is no longer technically Dune Pod, but I have a Dune connection already, right out of the gate, which is that really? Atreyu was named after the Greek mythological character Atreus, and Paul Atreides yes. is also named after that character. So oh. there's a little, little connection for you. Wow. Love it. Oh, you get a little you get a little <laughs> bonus. Or I, I think I'm gonna log off. There's too much, there's too much already. <laughs> Jason's like, I could be at the beach right now. Let me uh, know. If, let me know if the poop inspection comes up again. I'll be back for that. <laughs> All right, Meredith, uh, please tell me about your history with The NeverEnding Story. I uh, I watched the movie before I read the book. Uh, and the book is now my favorite book of all time. I've read it so, so many wow. times. Um, I have a, a first English edition um, that I'm really proud of, but I've been on the lookout for a first German edition. I haven't found it yet. Uh, but the movie introduced me to the book when I was a kid. I mean, I, I think on on HBO, like early, early home video, right right after mm. it came out. Um, and I I just fell in love with it. I, I have it basically memorized. And then I found yeah. the book a, a couple of years later when I was a little bit older because the book's a little bit, um, you know, higher uh, grade level um, than, the, than the movie is. But I just, you know, I love it so much. I love it more than anything. Mm. Wonderful. Jason. I don't remember ever not seeing this movie. I've never read the book. I didn't see it in the theater for sure. It was a home video repeat till death, but I've seen it like 70 times and I haven't seen it in a very long time. I realized in rewatching for the pod that it had been quite, quite some time. And literally every person of my generation I know, including my wife, you know, like we have like some friends of ours staying here. I asked them if they said they've all seen it. Literally every person over 40 I know has seen this movie and has like an emotional attachment to it with the exception of the co-host of this <laughs> podcast. Ha. Well, yeah. So I, for whatever reason, completely missed this movie. I loved Enemy Mine. So like I was, and my dad watched Das Boat, um, which is the right way to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> and so like I was aware of Wolfgang uh, Peterson um, but I just never saw this movie. And I think by the time I was 14, I was kind of like moving on to, to what I thought was more adult stuff. Um, and this seemed kid too, a little too kid oriented for me. I had also not watched, uh, Labyrinth famously around the same time. Wow. So yeah, I don't, I don't know why I just like, why, I mean, I was maybe more focused on Dune, um, at that point. So, uh, so this was my first time reading. I actually bought a copy of the book when um, I was in Amarillo, Texas. Um, they still have some bookstores there that that have it. Um, but unfortunately, I lost it. Um, I think I left it on the plane. Um, so I need to rebuy it uh, and then start reading it. Or I guess I can just do an audiobook, right? Will it be okay in audiobook form? No, yeah, no, would, there is oh. no audible version of Never Ending Story in English. Isn't that crazy? What? Oh, huh. Interesting. So you I have know. to, well, it's, it's German? Is that right? Yeah, it's German. So you have to learn German first. You have to move. <laughs> Good luck. To you have to <laughs> I, move. I've been trying. It's not easy. Mm-mm. Mm. Um, so let's just do some quick behind the scenes here. So again, as you, as you said, it was based on the German book by Michael Ende, 
Um, and or Michael End, how do you pronounce correctly? It's Mikhail Enda. Mikhail Enda, thank you. Um, and this only Amazing. covers the first Amazing. half of the book. So, right. and the sequel roughly covers the second half? Very roughly, but yeah, essentially. Okay. And he was only paid $50,000 for the rights. And ultimately, he was so unhappy with what had been done in the film that he sued to stop production. Um, and and yes. he called it Ein Geigantisch Melodram aus Kitsch, Commerce, Plusch und Plastik. Yeah. That sounds yes. good. That sounds good. Yeah. That was actually a really good pronunciation. Um, I have I have another Mikhail in the quote <laughs> for you, uh, if you're ready. He was so mad. This is the most German thing of all time. So um, what the film contains from imagination hardly exceeds the standards of an average nightclub. The interior of the ivory tower only misses having a mirror ball and a girl group to put the audience in a nightclub. <laughs> All that should have been mysterious and magical oh, is wow. totally flat and banal. And then when we get to the Sphinxes, I'll tell you what he said about the Sphinxes. Okay. It's really good. <laughs> nice. Nice. Wow. He was pissed. My guy was he heated. Was so was like, pissed. Mm. It would be, what is this off-brand Bergen? This bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really hard, right? To like sometimes to have your stuff translated some people like uh, this is like alan moore uh syndrome basically uh right very or stephen very king and stanley kubrick yeah and i you know it's it's funny for me because i don't know how i would feel if i had found the book before the film but ultimately and you know i'm always like team author obviously of course but you know i'm also sort of like this movie is the reason like millions of people fell in love with your story right and you know, while it definitely misses out on a ton of the narrative and some of the th the more adult themes, like there's some like Jungian shadow, like projection shit in his book that didn't make it to the Hollywood film that might surprise you, Got you it. know, but in general, it's like, it captures the magic of it in a way that I think is really important. And, I, and then I think about, you know, the, um, I don't know what year it was, 2012 or whatever adaptation of the golden compass. Right. And it, it's like in every particular correct, but it, absolutely doesn't capture the magic of Philip Pullman's book. And so except to for me, the finale. Sort of except for the finale. Except like the, um, yeah, the finale it, is like it. you kind of left off a pretty important part where someone <laughs> someone gets sac human sacrifice. That's like kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But by that point, I mean they'd already blown it. Like you just <laughs> right. weren't even investing you didn't even give it like you don't care about that boy by that point. You know what I mean? Like right. so I think that's sort of an important thing that it's like, oh, I still like absolutely love the story because of the movie. Yeah. And sure it, it like is missing some some nuances, but I just think it's amazing how pissed he got. You know, it's very Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick where it's like, it's still a very good movie though, right? Like mm. <laughs> you know that, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, written and directed by Wolfgang Peterson, as we said, Das Boat, Enemy Mine, In the Line of Fire, Air Force One, Perfect Storm, Troy, and Poseidon. Amazing. Amazing. A lot of bangers. It's a pretty big run there from, from In the Line of Fire through Perfect Storm and maybe through Troy. Like, very big. I yeah. love In the Line of Fire and Perfect Storm. I actually love all of those movies. I've never like seen In the Line of Fire. Like, Oh my God, it's so good. Really? It's so good. It is a blast. I haven't seen it either. I'm not kidding. It, it wasn't streaming for like 10 years and it just started streaming this year and I was so excited. Wow. So, I mean, you couldn't even like pay to rent it. Like you couldn't, you could not watch that movie online and, and now you can. So please do. It's so good. Okay. I mean, what would happen if Meredith Borders did a movie on escape hatch that was not set in the 80s? 
<laughs> yeah, what would happen? It would be I, like the time, the time space continuum would, it would look like Fantasia at the end of the movie, just like rocks. There's not even a synth score. Uh, like it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, right. It wouldn't work. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, yeah, so he was huge, obviously, uh, you know, a global sensation on the strength of Dust Boat and then had a, had a huge career here. But this was the most expensive film produced outside the U.S. and Russia. It had a budget of $27 million, and it did $100 million worldwide, mm. competing in 1984 at the box office with Police Academy, Romancing the Stone, Splash, Footloose, Ice Pirates, This is Spinal Tap, mm. and Children of the Corn. All good. My God. Good year. A lot of good stuff. Really good year. A lot of good stuff. I was definitely at... The theater watching Romancing the Stone, which I loved. I thought that was a great movie. Oh, I love Romancing the Stone. Mm, that's a good one. Really good. All right, you guys want to get into this? Any other key behind the scenes I missed? Did you mention Vancouver? The exteriors were well, shot in Vancouver. I didn't. I didn't yet. Yes, that that was the other. Is it not? Is it not yet time to talk it's, about? It's the fine. I was going to talk about it at the end, Vancouver. but we can talk about it now. Like Vancouver's <laughs> great. I was just like, it was one of the things that for me sort of like stood out as like there was something off about this movie as a young person. Like you could tell that like something was like foreign in an indescribable way. Mm. Um, and like, I found that to be like, I found that to be, uh, and watching it again, it was just like, this is like, this is in America. What is this shadow realm? Like where this kid goes to school. It's gas town, right? Like, what are they, it's gas town. It's in gas yeah, yeah. yeah. It's gas. Yeah. It was, uh, and it stood out to me again, like watching it this time. I was like, this is funky. Like this just isn't, this isn't right somehow. Like it's not America. <laughs> I love that you're, I love that you're saying this because whenever there a movie, usually a, a children's movie has that feeling to me, I often describe it as feeling Canadian um, because <laughs> yes. there's so many movies from my childhood, like um, the magic peanut butter solution that I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, right. there's something so weird and off about this movie and I don't know what it is. And as an adult, I discovered it was just Canadian. That's really you know? funny. Um, right, exactly. Which also makes me think of the line from Scott Pilgrim. And it's like, you're tragically Canadian sensibilities. So this movie nice. has some tragically Canadian sensibilities to it. We had that, we yeah, had that with I Superman with 3 as well, which had Calgary standing in as Metropolis. It was just insane. <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. All right. Yeah. Well, so this song, when it starts... So I had never seen the, the film, but I don't think I'd ever really heard the song. Uh, maybe I maybe I had, but certainly during the Stranger Things season three finale, um, you know, I was like, right. I see what's happening here. I got it. Um, but I was unprepared for how awesome um, it is as we're just flying through these fantasy clouds. It's just a straight banger. Yeah, this is what I'm glad. I'm feeling optimistic now. If the, if you're vibing with the movie at this point, we might make it to the end of the podcast without me quitting. Yes. Well, so Jason, we had our clouds again, right? What do you mean? We got more dye injected into uh, you know more ke more oh, chemicals yeah. uh, to make these more chemicals, more huffing. <laughs> Listen, whatever it took, whatever it took, you would do if you had to like inhale acetone, paint your lungs with paint thinner. That's what art requires. Hey, man, we had to win the Cold War. Like, we just had to yeah. make it happen. Uh, so Bastion wakes from his dream uh, about his mom. He later tells his dad. So let's get into Gerald McRaney. Gerald McRaney. People know him. He really had a glow up between Deadwood and House of Cards. He had like a serious late career acting role. Yeah. I knew him from 156 episodes of Simon and Simon. 
Oh, okay. All right. Utter silence. Uh, I think Deadwood is the. <laughs> de- de- <laughs> I think Deadwood is his better credit. He plays Hurst in Deadwood. That's and yeah. he's so good in it. He has some amazing scenes with Brian Cox in Deadwood. There are a lot of people with gray hair right now who are nodding along with me and repping Simon and Simon all the way. Great show. I think it was CBS. Uh, you know, mid '80s. So. Hmm. All right. Do you have more you want to talk about with Simon? What Simon? did you think about him? Is that it? <laughs> what did you? Th- what, what? <laughs> I thought he. I thought he was great. I love this. This is a great classic kind of '80s parenting. Yes. Where, you know, your kids' moms died, but life has just got to go on, <laughs> and like you know, you've got to drink your blended egg drink <laughs> and just tell your kid to get their shit together. And it was like reminiscent of the fact. It was like it's important for people to know that in the '80s. Like there were public service announcements that were just like, do you know where your kids are? It's nighttime. And like also <laughs> like, ha- have you hugged your child today or have you just been a dick to them? Because like <laughs> parenting was like, I guess, just not discovered until v- relatively recently. And like they just let kids just, you know, we didn't know if they came home. It Showing physical affection was weird. Mm. Um, and so this is all very consistent. Gerald, Gerald Rainey really capturing the zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he nails it. And it's 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 a perfect um, sort of encapsulation of it of the character from the book. And then it's so funny because in the second movie, um, John Wesley Shipp plays the father. He's oh. like, you know, the Flash and he's he's Dawson Leary's oh, dad yeah. on Dawson's Creek. Mm. He's like one of the warmest and most paternal figures that I'm like, right. that's not Bastion's dad. Right. I'm like so right. furious immediately that he radiates warmth. I'm like, how dare you? That's wrong. Like, no. Yeah, I, I thought this was a tough one. He says to him, stop daydreaming. Start facing your problems, okay? Okay. Okay. Bastion's not pulling his weight. He's just letting the whole side. <laughs> he down. won't try out for he's swim team. Big, he won't try out for swim mope. team. Yeah. Get in the fucking pool and work on your breaststroke, you fucking kid. <laughs> it's time to get things together. Stop reading these books. Yeah. You nerd. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't do him well because we immediately transition to Vancouver. Uh, Gastown, as we have these bullies chasing him. These are some seriously evil fuckheads. Yeah, yeah these, these kids, kids are not fucking chill. suck. Not only no. do yeah. they throw him in the trash can, they wait till he comes out and they're going to throw him back in the trash can. They're like, get back in. Yeah, that's not yeah. cool. <laughs> they posted a sentry to make sure <laughs> that he stood in the trash can. It's so great. I love that. One of these bullies in uh, one of these bullies was subbed in the flight of the navigator kid. Oh, really? In the scene where they're running down the alley. Okay. Uh, at the end, yeah. the flight of the navigator kid just subs in to to be that. Oh, the main kid. The kid that gets jumps in the jump. The main kid, yeah. Wow. No, yeah, the, the main actor, yeah. So he's that's the connection to Flight of the Navigator. Holy moly! Our other most beloved movie. Yeah. He was like, where did they film? He was like in Norway or whatever, and then they're like, just get go to Germany. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to go. No, because that was in that was in that was in Gaston. Gaston. That was in Vancouver. Oh yeah, yeah. So oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Wild, uh, wild stuff. Um, I do want to say, because we talked about the song, but also, I mean, just the the score is just crushing it. This entire, like, beginning segment of the film, really the entire The entire film. movie. Giorgio Moroder, uh, father of disco. He wasn't the the main composer. I forget the main composer's name. Klaus, Klaus Doldinger. Klaus Doldinger. 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 Yeah. Doldinger. 
Uh, but Marotta really put in that last like amazing polish. And then of course he, he uh, wrote the music for the song and he's just like, it, it just feels like it, you know, it's like such a good yeah. score. I mean, every single second of it. So Marotta, thank you. So good. Amazing. Amazing. Marotta who did love to love you, baby. Last dance for Donna Summers did flash dance, did the score for Scarface. And then also, our brethren at Bat and Spider are doing Electric Jeans this week, which they also he also did the score for that. Oh. So check that out. Okay. All right. And he's heavily featured in the excellent Daft Punk song, yes. Giorgio Marauders. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Giovanni Giorgio, but everybody calls me Giorgio. <laughs> yeah, so that was like, yeah, the, the score through this entire film um, is, is really amazing. Um, and we're going to be hearing a lot of it as we go through. So Bastion, on the run from the bullies, manages to make it into a bookstore where he hides. Um, this owner is like a dismissive dick to him. I have 186 of them at home. Ah, comic books. No, I've read Treasure Island, Last of the Mohicans, Wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings, 20,000 Leagues on the Sea, Tarzan. This well-read kid. He's so well-read. I love, I love his delivery when he just goes, I know books. I know books. I know books. <laughs> so good. Mm. And he's such a little wiener, but like, I love him. I just like, I relate to Bastion so much. I, I wish I was more of a an Atreyu or a, a child like Empress, but I'm a Bastion. <laughs> the haircut too of, of Bastion is pretty yeah. amazing. It's, it's a it's sweet good. little bowl cut. Yeah, mm. I love that. I love the look that when he takes the book from the store and runs off with it, that Mr. Coriander, the bookseller, gives him as he the like knowing. You know, the knowing like, yes, yes. <laughs> like he's just like this big <laughs> creeper grin. I love him. I love that guy. He's great. Mr. Yeah, Coriander, shout out to you. I wonder I wonder if he was the previous person to seed Fantasia. Yes. Yes. And I mean, in the book. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Okay. Uh, also, oh. the actor is the only one who comes back for the second film. He's okay. the only oh. he's the only person who's the same. All the rest of them are different. Huh. Yeah, what else did he have to do? <laughs> Carl Conrad. <laughs> Carl Conrad. Carl Conrad Coriander. Coriander. Good job. <laughs> it. Good job. I think in the book he steals the book. He steals it, right? As opposed to yeah. here, they have him like leave a nice note um, that he writes out. Decent. Penalty. He returns it in the in the book, though. He doesn't leave a okay. note, but he returns it. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so now we have him running up to skip class because there's a math test. And so he's just like heads up to the attic. He's like, I, I, this is a wrap. I, I'm not going to make it. And so he settles in and he starts reading. And this is where we have the transition into Fantasia with something huge rolling through the howling forest. It was midnight in the howling forest. The wind whistled through the tops of the ancient trees. Suddenly something enormous crashed and rumbled through the eerie woods. This is great. Yes. It's so good. This is good. Yeah, it's good storytelling. And so we have the introduction of the, uh, the Night Hob and Teeny Weeny. Sorry, I was just going to say, I also just love that Bastion skipped school to read because I did that so many times as a kid. And that's uh, the thing that like immediately co like connected me to this movie is that I would like hide in the bathroom and skip class so I could finish a book. So I was like, wow. yes, I do that. That is the thing that is fun. Um, that's great. So there's this documentary, this German documentary about the making of the film that uh, I, I watched that has 
there's a guy in, you know, in the rock biter suit, he's in the belly of it. And this is like wonderful moment where they're they're through the rock biter's mouth, passing down a, a bottle of mineral wasser to the, the performer inside <laughs> and he, his hand comes out and he grabs the bottle and it disappears into the rock biter and then an empty bottle comes out. Oh. Really good. Wild. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, all the puppetry work in this film is really uh, amazing, really and it's, good. it starts right out of the gate here um, yeah. with this with the rock biter, and his delivery is terrific. Oh, a delicious looking limestone rock. Mm, nice bouquet, must be a real vintage. <laughs> They're having fun with it. It's great. It's Alan Oppenheimer, who's also the voice of Falcor and the voice of Gamork, the wolf, okay. and yeah. the narrator at the very end. All the same guy, Alan Oppenheimer. Interesting. He's amazing. Interesting. No yeah. relation. Uh, <laughs> so good. The D, uh, the guy who plays the teeny weeny yes. is um is Deep Roy, who we have seen we've seen in other many other important works. He Flash played, Gordon, <laughs> Return of Flash the Jedi. Gordon. Little film called Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Droopy McCool, uh, Dark Crystal, Star mm-hmm. Trek, the new Star Trek series, mm-hmm. and then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, like all of Burton's mm. stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Great job, Deep. Um, I, I did find it slightly like weird to anchor the opening on these characters. Um, obviously, they come through the story a number of times, but I just thought that was an interesting choice to start there. Um, so I was a little confused and I thought maybe this was going to be the adventuring party that we were going to have. And, and so that was going to make sense to me. Um, but it was, you know, very quickly, uh, you know, explaining what's happening and the land is disappearing. The, the nothing is coming. Um, so they're going to go to the ivory tower to go see the empress. Yeah, I did. I, I did in this rewatch kind of have the feeling of like, first of all, it's an hour and a half long movie. So it really moves. Like you really feel like you're kind of in and and out of it, particularly as an adult used to watching like, you know, fucking three hour meditations on nuclear weaponry. Um, (laughs) And and this, so this like, it really moves. And also as like sort of a genre fiction watcher, like they're, they're establishing a whole fantasy world, but it's like, they're not going very deep on it. Like we don't need to right. know. We're not getting. We're not finding out the country that the rock biters from, or like who lives in the crystal towers, or like you know whatever else. Like they're just yeah naming places, naming things, and showing you a lot of weird shit, which I think is consistent with like it just being a dream world. Like it doesn't have a lot of. It, it's meant to just kind of overwhelm you with the fantasticalness of it. Um, mm. but you know, as like, again, as like a genre, you, you're like, you're not going to get like, there's not like a whole map of like all of the territories that they're kind of, they're laying out the, the case political intrigues here. and yeah, yeah, none of yeah, that. I think that's, that's right. really consistent yeah. with the book because in the book, Atreyu and then Bastian goes through Fantastica or it's, um, it's Fantastica in the English language and then Fantasia or Fantasian. Um, mm. but I, he, just every chapter, he just like meets a new random creature and then that's it. You know, it's just sort of, yeah. and each chapter is like, right. you know, eight pages. It's just sort of showing the breadth <laughs> right. of this like vast imaginative land, but that's it. It's not like wicked where it's like, and you know, a hundred centuries ago, this, right. you know. <laughs> not unlike the Hobbit, right. In that way, like the Hobbit is the same thing. Yeah. It's like just totally. like a bunch of little adventure things totally. that happen step by step to get to where he's going as opposed to Lord of the Rings, which is you know, all of the political intrigue and stuff that's happening. Yes, yes. And I think it's consistent too with it being like um, a Princess Bride, uh, a metafiction where it's like, you know, it is a story of a story, um, which 
again, as a kid, like we talked about before, I in as a teenager, I had an obsession with like, you know, theater of the absurd and postmodern fiction. I, I still do, I guess. But like, yeah, I think probably being introduced to like metafiction as a child through like never ending story, uh, Princess Bride, there's a monster at the end of this book, like was really conditioning, <laughs> like sort of like, I think parents had gotten to this age, like boomers, boomers as parents were like, okay, like, you know, we grew up on like, you know, you know, spot or whatever, you know, CJ and run. And now it's like, we're going to start twisting it a little bit. And everyone knows these conventions, but when you're a kid, you don't know what the conventions are. Um, right. and so like, this is the way in which you learn the conventions, but it's in the context of a metafiction. Um, I think is, is a very interesting thing, like to have been such a common thread through so much of these like beloved works that we, we cover. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. So in, in two weeks we're doing Pulp Fiction, which is yeah. another kind of like meta storytelling yeah. uh, thing yeah. that's very specific. There's only 10 years between Neverending Story and Pulp Fiction. No. Right. And then there's 30, <laughs> there's 30 years from 30 years from Pulp Fiction yeah. till now. I yeah. That's that. weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a lot of ground yeah. covered in in one decade. Labyrinth also is a metafiction because it's like yeah. she's there's this yes. play that she's You're performing. You're so right. God, that's so yeah. interesting. Really? I never thought about the connection between all or among all of those, but I love all of those, yeah. you know, films and stories and they have that common. Yeah. It's, it's kind of surprising mm. that, like the Dark Crystal isn't. That like the Dark Crystal somehow isn't like a child reading a about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So now we get to the ivory tower and um, one of the characters says, I never knew it was that beautiful. And then this song that is just playing as they're flying up, they're approaching, they're coming up, they see the landing platforms, they see the people, they're kind of sneaking up. And the character design of the, of the people that are in this uh, environment here. We have the giant head dudes mm -hmm. and the people with like the multiple faces, both kind of like half and then with three three faces. Incredible design. Incredible, yeah, so really bad. cool stuff. And, and this is something I only really noticed on this watch, despite having seen it so much as a kid. Like I think as a kid, you just sort of accept like there's gonna be people with three faces and like all of this different stuff. But like this time, like watching, I was like, what the F is going on in the background? Like there's a <laughs> yeah. whole bunch of weirdos here. Um yeah. that like I really I never clocked that there was like the the head grown out of the rocks and the three-headed thing and like all of this just fantastical design. I'd really never like paid attention to that before. Mm. And they also sneaked in some uh, character work from like Hollywood movies that Wolfgang Peterson admired. So there's like an ET in there. There's there's a Gumby. There's what? a Mickey Mouse. Um, yeah, there's really? a C-3PO. C-3PO is in there. What? I love yeah. that. I love that C-3PO is They're in there. like deeply hidden in the crowd, but. Man, yeah, that is, that that's is great. wild shit. So presiding over all this is Charon, who is the Empress's major domo. Jason, you recognized him, obviously. He also filmed in Germany. I did recognize him. Cletus from Rollerball. Oh, your favorite Cletus movie. from Rollerball. I did love Cletus. <laughs> Cletus was that really was shot good in, in Munich. Part part of that was the the energy headquarters where the buildings in Munich or BM yeah BMW's headquarters uh, wherever that I, was. I love his head crest. His little yeah. head ridge. Do you get one of those? Great. He's really good. I would like that. I, I basically almost do have that. My head is so gigantic. I just need like a little bit more skull and I would have, be able. <laughs> and if I had one like that, 
I would definitely like de- adorn it with various like Swarovski crystals and stuff and like really just kind of bling out that bridge. I wouldn't just leave it naked, but I Smart. appreciate he had his own style. Yeah, you know. So he calls out that the Empress is dying uh, and that she can only be saved by the warrior Atreyu. Um, and so this is almost like a callback to our... Um, this is a callback to our heavy metal episode, right? Where the scientists had to call the warrior uh, to come, have her come back. But he seems influenced by Bastion's characters that are like, they're not drawn by Bastion, but they're kind of like ones he has on his notebook or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got like a he's got like a sort of a Indian drawing on his notebook, right? Like I think that's like yeah. I mean he's like Bastion, like like Atreus clearly like Native American coded. Um, he's like shows up with a bow and arrow and wearing like, you know, leather pants and like hunting buffalo. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hunting buffalo. Like it's like, you know, and so I think that's like, yeah, I think that's bastions. You're starting to see the bastion in this. And also the other part of it that's less kind of, you know, just sort of Hollywood tropish is that like, they're like, who the fuck is this kid? Like this, like, <laughs> we, we called for a Treyu, not this, <laughs> not this little kid. And, well, I, lo- I, and I, I love the efficiency of their just like. She had already called for Atreyu, so here he is. We're yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Atreyu's here. The call went out. He answered. Yeah, but Charon is kind of a dick to him. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he says that he has a quest, and Atreyu says- What kind of a quest? To find a cure for the Empress. And to save our world. No one can give you any advice except this. You must go alone. You must leave all your weapons behind. It will be very dangerous. Is there any chance of success? I do not know. But if you fail, the Empress will surely die. And our whole world will be utterly destroyed. This is yeah. like the doctor to the kid in uh, in Flight of the Navigator. You got to come with us mm-hmm. alone. Like, yeah. it was tough for those kids back then. Yes, this is what yes, happened. You get dropped off at the, at the neighbor's house and like you're t- told to find your way home. No weaponry, <laughs> no no flashlight. Lashky. Just see what happens. Lashky kid generation. Yes, very much so. Yeah, you could do it. He immediately accepts the quest. Yeah, he of course he does. I love this kid. The guy, the, I think the Atreyu kid actor is one of our better kid actors. He do, and he's asked to do so much during this fucking movie, like so much of this is the Tom Cruise of kid actors. <laughs> this is so true. Noah Hathaway. Noah Hathaway did so many of his own stunts and got horribly injured again and again throughout the course of this movie. During just rehearsals, <laughs> he was trounced by a horse had his back broken and it was in traction yes. for a month. Uh, in the Morla scene, the the turtle, when he like flies back into the into the water, he, he like yeah. horribly hurt then. Uh, when Gamork, the wolf, jumps on him, he gets this like really bad cut on his face. It's like so many different injuries. And then the other, like in addition to like Michael Endo's, like Mikhail Endo's like super German complaints about the movie, the other most like, German thing I read about this movie was Wolfgang Peterson being like the actor Noah Hathaway. He was a bit of a pain. He had an attitude, and uh, but the actor who played Bastion was was so easy going. I'm like Bastion read in an didn't attic have to do anything. Entire- yeah, <laughs> he pulled <laughs> a blanket was over his head, busting his ass. You know? <laughs> Literally Justice broke for his Noah back Hathaway. For this film. <laughs> I got 
so angry because, of course, you know, I was an Atreyu girl growing up. Like every every girl I know had the biggest crush on Atreyu. And so it's like, no, no, no. No Hathaway was not a pain. Yeah. Yeah. They drowned my boy in the swamp. They like, they were, I mean, he was like, they're like, go trudge through this this filth for a couple days. You know, that wasn't warmed up. Like, I'm surprised he didn't get diphtheria. (laughs) You get your dip tat? Uh, It was tough. Uh, But I, as I think he was incredible. And so first of all, this was my first head scratch moment because I thought for sure that the warrior kid, Atreyu, was going to be Bastion, right? That it would be the same actor in that world as our mm. world. And that was going to be the kind of well, That would be too much of, of a giveaway. It would be- It'd be too much of a giveaway because like you don't actually know it's a you don't actually know it's a metafiction until until like the later the a little bit. Yeah. 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 I yeah. think I knew it only because of the way you guys talked about it the last time we talked about it on the pod. Um, so I had mm-hmm. the sense oh, that, right, that there was right. that, that metafiction element. Um, yeah. So I but this kid is incredible. Um, you know, what a yeah. look. Uh, Great you know, look. Just like the, the hair Great and look. stuff, like the drip on this kid. It's pretty, pretty so impressive. Cool. So we have the Atreyu horseback riding montage. Um, Just him and Artax out having a great time. My notes just say Artax is a good horse. Such a good horse. Yeah. The the scenery, Jason, the locations. This is like, again, taking me back to crawl. Like it looks so good. Yeah, it looks so good. Shooting all this. Yeah, bring back paintings. Bring back paintings. And Uh, show us. Show us fantasy as done by paintbrushes. I mm. completely agree. The painted backdrops in this movie are, I mean, everything is so textural. Like, I mean, they were just like on that set all day, every day with real characters. And like some of it looks goofy, but it looks real and tactile. And that makes like such a difference. Also, this movie is like the lighting mm. in this movie is so good. Like they lit the shit out of this movie. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, we can talk about it right now uh, if we want to talk about lighting. So this was shot by DP Jost Vacano, um, who did Dust Boat, RoboCop, Total Recall, Showgirls, and Starship Troopers. Verhoeven and Peterson guy. Yeah. He also did... Yeah, he did... Ro- yeah, RoboCop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. God, we need, we need to do RoboCop. All right. Well, we can't put it off any longer. We are at the, the swamps swamp of sadness. Um, so he's looking for Morla, <laughs> the ancient one. Um, so first of all, serious bog pod um, canon going on. Yes. Here. Yeah. Bog pod <laughs> lives strong. We've got to yeah, count he- up all the bogs we've done. We need like a special <laughs> bog. We need a special bog pod poster that just has representation of all of the bog movies we've covered. <laughs> It's a great idea. Uh, it will have a new Patreon where someone can make that for us. We'll have a pay- yeah. If you pay us, we will let you make our bog boss poster for us. There, there we go. Uh, so yeah, and Peterson in Enemy One, Enemy Mine, also bog pod, also bog pod. So back to yeah. back. Um, yeah. So this set is stunning. I could not believe how good this looks. Um, tromping through the mud um, and the cover, you know, just like him being covered by it. And this description that whoever lets sadness overtake him would sink into the swamp. And so this moment uh, where Artax is sinking. This, like, 
this is tough, man. Like I, I obviously knew Artax died. Uh, I, in rewatching the movie, was like, he can't die now though, right? Like it's later because I was like, it's only thirty minutes into the movie, and so like Artax, like it was surprising to me how quickly you are introduced and Artax is taken away, and I really yeah. expected him to survive um, when I was watching the movie this time. I think that I think in part Noah Hathaway's performance being so like poignant makes in memory you feel like Artax is a bigger part of the film because you really I mean even being 30 minutes in the movie you really only have spent like five minutes with Artax but it's just right. his loss feels so real that it like you know I, I remembered it the same way around like Artax is in like half yeah. the movie and he doesn't but I mean no Hathaway is just like oh he's he, he's just so sorrowful it's just it really gets you Incredible um, performance there. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Really, really beautiful. Including the moment where he gets angry, calls him a stupid horse, right? As he's trying to, to, to get him to do that. But then the other piece that's been playing this whole time, this score uh, here as uh, after that and the kind of the very sorrowful, um, it's just, it really hits. But Atreyu doesn't give up. He is going to keep going. And so this is where, you know, as soon as he said Shell Mountain and you see it in the distance, I was like, that's definitely a turtle. Um, <laughs> and it was very cool, uh, that reveal that it was. Um, and he he just climbs a tree. Atreyu just climbs a tree. He will face anything. He is a complete yeah. and utter badass. He's such a badass. Yes. Like, this is the reason ch the childlike Empress chose him. I want to say quickly about the Swamps of Sadness scene. That was supposed mm. to take... Two weeks to film, and it took seven weeks because they were yeah. train training a horse to be okay uh, being sinking. It was, he was on a hydraulic platform yeah. in this uh, yeah. bog of peat, a peat bog. Uh, and every single time, the horse is like, uh, "No, <laughs> I'm not doing that." They're yeah. like, no, 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 it's okay. You're supposed to. You're supposed to. And the horse is like, "No, I'm not doing that." So it took seven weeks to convince the horse that it was okay to. And you see it in the horse's eyes. He still doesn't like it. The performance it, like, of that horse is incredible. Yeah, he wasn't acting. <laughs> he hated it. Yeah, I assume they just drowned that horse in a swamp. I was like, <laughs> this horse didn't make it. <laughs> this would definitely not fly. This would not fly today. They, they almost drowned the kid in a swamp. They're not going to protect the horse. <laughs> that Okay, so that's actually something Noah Hathaway has said before, because that was a rumor that went around that, that the horse died. And Noah Hathaway what? was like, the horse... The horse was very well taken care of. I, on the other hand, ah, um, but funny. they ended up yeah. giving the horse to the actor at the at the end of the film as like a gift. So he he definitely made it. Wow. Okay. Thank God. Thank God. Um, so Morla is great. This character is awesome. Um, and so, but there is something that really confused me here. So I hope you can explain this to me. So as as Morla comes up. Bastion screams and then they hear him in Fantasia, but like, why did he scream? What was happening? Why? <laughs> That's so funny. So I was just saying this to Matt when we were watching it the other day, that like he's screaming at the, there's a part of the book that they just couldn't get done. There are these like cloud giants and it's really scary and they just like couldn't figure out how to do it financially. And also time-wise it was it like lifted out pretty easily. And that's when mm -hmm. he screams, but they're hearing his scream is an important part of the plot. So they just put it on this other thing where it's like giant uh, turtle that he screams, but it's like such a funny, uh, it's like have him scream when, you know, when Artax dies or something, but like it makes yeah. no sense for him to scream when he reads the, 
the words giant turtle. Like that's not yeah. Or have him say something, right? Like have yeah. him, have him scream something that's relative to the turtle. That okay, yeah. okay, good. So I wasn't the and only ne- one. It never no. even occurred to me that him screaming was a problem <laughs> until now. I was just like, yeah, <laughs> like I don't know. Giant turtle. He's in this attic. It's weird. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So we have Morla's sneeze. This assertion that she's allergic to youth and that she's thousands and thousands of years old. This is the first time that in, because I, I was watching it with subtitles, that I noticed that she said that she's allergic to youth and not mm-hmm. allergic to you. I had mm-hmm. always previously <laughs> interpreted this as allergic to you. Um, so that was a big, that was a big takeaway for me in this. Yeah. Uh, in this, in this, in this reading of the story. You're welcome. Great line. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Escape Patch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, so the only kind of little bit of weakness in the film is this notion of, you know, go find the, you know, go find Morla. Okay, great. I found Morla. Morla's like, okay, great. Go find the Southern Oracle. Um, so it is a bit of a, you know, fetch me a plank, uh, you mm-hmm. know, fetch quest type situation. Um, there's not a lot there um, in terms of the overall kind of like journey. It is a very, very kind of straightforward piece. I wish there was a little bit more meat here um, in terms of what he had to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, and it is all kind of undone by the fact that like at the end, it's like, you know, like the, you know, it's funny because this actually reminded me of playing Dungeons and Dragons with ChatGBT because Mm. like the whole point of it is just to like kind of be this, you know, it's just like, yeah, like, you know, there's a there's a wizard. Do you want to like, kill the wizard? It's like, yeah, I'll kill the wizard. It's like, OK, great. You killed the wizard. Like, do you want to like it's all it's it's all just like, you know, there's no real depth to it, except for what if you ask for depth, there will be more depth. So because like Bastion isn't really asking for more depth, he's not getting any more depth. And then it's mm. all revealed to be like it's just kind of a setup anyway. Like the whole point yeah. of the quest was just to get him to care, um, not right. to actually reveal the plot of what he was doing. Fair. And it's it's really pretty consistent with the book too, which has this, like I said, chapter by chapter where it's like, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. And it's like, uh, that never bothered me as a kid. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's my favorite book because it's the books that made me a lover of books as an adult. Mm. But as an adult, I'm like, oh, they could tighten this up a little, you know, but like, yeah, right, I don't right. care because <laughs> I still love it. But it's like, of it is very, I mean, Fetch Quest is a, a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Atreyu moving through the swamp. Again, my notes, just the score here is so good. Um, And also the moment when Atreyu is sinking into the swamp, you were talking about the lighting. I paused it and it's just like, just his face is above and like the glow of orange that they have. It's like a painting. Um, It looks good. Really, really, really gorgeous. and, but Gamork, the dark creature, giant wolf, is catching up, and the music swells as he's rescued by Falcor. Um, yeah. Okay, Gamork so. was legit. Gamork was legit terrifying as a kid. Like I. That's have what to I was say, just about like, to I, ask you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, I think like as an adult watching this, you're like Gamork is like a puppet, and like you don't even see the whole body, and like it's less terrifying. But those green eyes and the teeth, and like especially when he shows up at the end, all effed up like he's got scratches on his face and stuff like like Gamork was a legit nightmare fuel as a you know a small child mm. I realized that like so many of my favorite fantasy movies as a kid are these like 
dark fantasy ones that have like yeah. parts that would would scare the the hell out of me. Like I would have nightmares about Gamora, but it was like that's what I liked about it a little bit. So it makes sense that I yeah. then moved on to also loving horror. But a lot yeah. of my fantasy has like a little bit of horror in it. You know, and Gamora <laughs> is like truly horrific. Amazing. There's a there's a multiversal version where like you're writing about I don't know sports or rom coms or something. You're editing a magazine like that. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a version of that. It would be rom coms, not sports. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so he wakes up, he's fully healed. The music here is incredibly peaceful. And so this is our look at Falcor. Um, I think with, with Rockbiter, there were 25 puppets involved, or maybe it's Falcor, it's 25 puppets. Like, it's incredible, this puppet that they have created. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it's just absolutely, absolutely nuts. But him being healed and them being able to have the conversation about needing to get to the Southern Oracle. And he, Falcor, just like, he's going to help him. And so he is not alone. And Falcor says that he'll take him. You're amazing. <laughs> Having a luck dragon with you is the only way to go on a quest. Things will work out fine, Atreyu. Never give up. And good luck will find you. The best. Yeah. It's nice. It's good to have a friend <laughs> it again. It is nice. It's so good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it works. Uh, but we do have now the old gnome couple. This was giving me serious Miracle Max and Valerie vibes. I know. Yes, I actually thought that too. Yeah. And what, I mean, yeah. this came it's first. Before right? it, it's before it. This yeah, came first. Came yeah. First. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously the book did, but also, yeah, this movie did. Um, I love them. I think they're so great. Uh, Urgle and Ingrid book, I think their names are. And uh, yeah. they're really, really spot on from the book. And I just, I think the the way that the movie shows the scale of like the little guys and then Atreyu in the middle and then Falcor is really well done. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's a nice little, you know, um, you know, tonal shift, not too much of a tonal shift, but gives a little bit of lightness here. Um, as you're having some fun with them, but now he is told um, and shown the the Sphinx's gate, um, <laughs> and so we have this. You know, we have these two Sphinxes. Um, we have a knight uh, that we're going to watch us go try and get through there, and he just gets blown the hell up. <laughs> no hesitation. Right, he gets rickety wrecked. Let me let me tell you what Mikhail Enda says about the Sphinxes. Okay. Uh, because I, I found this quote piercing. <laughs> he said, the Sphinxes are quite one of the biggest embarrassments of the film. They are full bosom strippers who sit there in the desert. <laughs> so he tough really, one. really hated that the one. Sphinxes had nipples <laughs> was, was his problem because um, they do. They have giant nipples. And I, I think not he since, was, not since Batman, uh, you know, Batman forever <laughs> or whatever, exactly. Batman and Robin have nipples right? caused such an uproar uh, in costuming. I think he was picturing the sort of like uniboob, uh, Sphinx situation. Sure. And he was really sure. angry that they had just like, you know, human breasts. So. Right. Or the Sphinx is usually like on his front paws, right. With the head back a little bit, not standing yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. That, that yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a good point. Jason, how were you affected by seeing nipples and bosoms? No, and I, like I really wasn't. And, you know, even I, I there was a lot of chatter in the discord about the boobs um, this time around. And like even when it came up when I was watching it, I was I just didn't register it now or then. I don't know. I guess I'm not a Sphinx boob guy. Like it just doesn't it doesn't like really. You didn't see it. It. it, it I don't see it. I only see the I only see the 
integrity and austerity of the autistic artistic vision behind the sphinx <laughs> what did stand out to me this well time? hold on i i do i just do want to say like between this and heavy metal like season seven the boobs one it basically is the boobs one the big ones um <laughs> part two the uh, the uh the thing that did from a mythological standpoint stand out to me on this time is that i think it is not correct to call falcor a luck dragon i think that falcor is technically a luck drake because in order to be a dragon, you have to have four feet and wings. wings. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have two feet and wings, you're a wyvern. And if you have four feet and no wings, you're a drake. And so I think mm. he is Falcor the luck drake. Well, that's very interesting because luck dragon in German is Glucksdrake. So ah, know, maybe it's just there you go. a translation issue. So. Wow. It's a translation issue. The Glucksdrake. Yes. <laughs> wow it's amazing then listen people you will not get this depth of insight on any other <laughs> podcast Hell i guarantee no. like the multilingual mythological underpinnings of falgor a beloved <laughs> so a, from a woman who has sat astride the glucksdrake in the past <laughs> three days <laughs> amazing only on escape hatch it is interesting that they find, chose to make find that furry, patreon right? link now yeah so what do you think was the impetus there? Uh, because I did hear Wolfgang kind of bristle when people said he was like a dog, but I don't know what he expected to happen. Oh, people. Uh, yeah. So Michael Enda also hated that Falkor looked like a golden retriever. But mm. I mean, honestly, mm. with the way he's described in the book, I mean, he's completely covered in scales instead of having the soft ears. But I like the soft ears. I mean, sure. ear wise. Very pro this movie. Very, very pro. Uh, and then yeah. and also, I mean, I just they, they talk about how in the book uh Falcor moves like slow lightning, which is like really yeah. hard to conceptualize. And I feel like they did really well in this movie. Like that's absolutely totally. like, I mean, I, I, I they talk about uh, the book describes how his ruby eyes roll and like his ruby eyes totally roll in this movie. Like, mm. what do you want, Michael Endo? Like they're they're doing the best they can. You know? <laughs> It was a different time. My favorite detail of Falcor the Glucksdrake is that <laughs> his nose seems such an amazing texture. His oh, nose yeah. seems like this marshmallowy, very squishy, very expressive nose fabric. I, I love the nose. I remember as a kid wanting so much to be able to touch the nose. And in watching it again, uh, I again was attracted to this Glucksdrake nose schnoz. It's a uh, really it's good just schnoz. A, it's just amazing. <laughs> it's really amazing. Nice. Uh, good tongue, too. Okay, it works. Mm, great tongue. Really great tongue. Good, yeah. good tongue, too. It works. <laughs> please, please pull that quote. <laughs> so, so Atreyu uh, panics, but then he does run through uh, when Bastion is yelling out for him to do so. Um, but then him, this is like so many times I'm saying this, but as he's approaching the mirror gate, there's just like a minute of him walking and the music is unbelievable. And the I mixture, yeah. the mixture of the electronic with the orchestral is so good. Um, and as he finally gets to the mirror gate and he sees Bastion on the other side, who then throws the book, um, and then nothing else happens in the mirror gate. It wasn't like that guy was saying it was so dangerous. It turned out to not be dangerous at all. Um, but then I he was gets very to confused the, about the mirror gate, both both then and now. Like the mirror gate didn't make a ton of sense. This to is me. the Jungian As side, right? Kid, like if you're a hero, you thing. might be. Yeah, uh, that's the Jungian thing. Mm. So it's it's very much like oh, you hate to see like who you truly are, and and uh, so 
you know, Atreyu's shadow self is this. And in the book, Bastian is a, as they keep describing as a fat, pale little boy. Um, oh, yeah. And so he's like, oh, gross. I'm <laughs> a fat, pale little boy. Uh, um, I thought that detail was really weird when I, when at the opening of the book, when it's like, he's a fat little kid. And I'm like, that's like unnecessarily harsh. It's oh, it's German. It's so now I understand German. what he's doing. <laughs> they, well, they very like abruptly have you been, yeah, describe people's appearance this year. Augustus Gloop, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. Yeah, mm. they glooped him. Mm. <laughs> they glooped him. Did so did uh did Ray looking into the mirror in uh, Last Jedi rip off the never ending story? Totally. Homage. Ryan. Homage. Ryan Johnson. Answer for your crimes. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm finding him 100% innocent on this one. He killed it with uh with Ray in the mirror. I just finished a a book about about fairies who um, you know, fight and have sex with each other. And there was a, a mirror uh, scene in this book that I was like this totally rips off the mirror scene in Neverending Story. So, it's, wow. it's Wait, are you so reading much. are are you reading a Court of uh, Thorn and Roses? What, I, I just read yeah, the third you one. Are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what? What is this? Fairy porn. Fairy yeah, fairy porn. Uh, there's <laughs> five five books. I'm on I'm on the fourth. Um, the porn is like ten percent, and the rest of it is like epic battles. So it's pretty good. Wow. And the porn the porn kicks in relatively late in the series, right? Like the first few aren't as spicy as the lighter ones. Uh, yeah, they they're not as throughout? spicy, but there's. I mean, I'm only on the fourth one, but uh, they've been spicy throughout. They're good. Huh. I recommend. Wild. Wild. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to uh, get to that eventually. Do it. It'll happen. So the Southern Oracle describes the quest. The quest is to give the Empress a new name, um, and only a human child can do that. Um, and then the Oracle just starts falling apart, which is scary, right? Like watching the world um, start to fall apart. But basically, he now has to fly beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. And so he's up there flying, um, you know, on Falcor, who says, All right. All right. Hang on tight. And the song, again, unbelievable, just as they're flying through the sky. And this is interesting uh, detail from the behind the scenes that I watched. Blue screen had just been invented. So that was why they were able to have him on Falcor flying through the sky. And Brian Johnson, the special effects director, built the largest blue screen in the world at that time for this film. And it was at the, the studio that I visited. And he was very, very specific. And he's like, it, like, it's very temperature dependent. Absolutely cannot get too cold. And it's Germany where they love the frische Luft and they left the doors open and it got too cold and there was like a hole in it. He was furious. <laughs> whoa, whoa. This is Brian Johnson who did Thunderbirds, 2001, Space 1999, Alien, and Dragons. Aliens and Empire. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Amazing. Uh, let's see. So they run into the nothing. They crash. Uh, Bastion is, uh, sorry, uh, they crash and he's super bummed out. Um, Bastion says that his mother had a wonderful name, but doesn't actually say what it is. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, but so Atreyu has lost the Aran, but the rock biter's there to help him feel better. Like this, I guess, was the only piece that was tying back those characters. I really did think that they would be part of his quest and he would have like a gang of people to go do it. Yeah, I think instead it's just meant to like show how the nothing is affecting even Fantasia's like most random citizens, you know? 
<laughs> yes, that's where I'm hurting. Um, inside the broken temple, I love this notion of the paintings of the story yes. and the things that had happened. Like all of this, this is, is a cool location. Yeah, it's right? really, this is so good. Yeah, I like that. Mm. I like mm. that. But Gamork is there. He says that Fantasia is the dream of humans and that the nothing is a lack of hope. Go ahead. Do you have something? No, I'm just like so excited about this scene. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so he says that he likes the nothing because it makes people easier to control. And I was thinking like, have you thought through this plan? Because like the whole world is about to be blown up. But when he says that he is a servant of, you know, the person who's behind the nothing, I'm like, oh, cool. There's a couple of layers here. Um, so I'm assuming yeah. that is fleshed out in the book. Yeah, it is fleshed out in the book. And also in that documentary that I just watched, the the narrator of the documentary, who's like so freaking German, it's it's like, it's very much like, um, what was that old SNL sketch? It's sprockets. It's like sprockets. Your story has become tiresome. Now's the time when sprockets when we die. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. Yes, exactly. So he's like, here, Gumburg says something very political. <laughs> I was like, is that political? <laughs> uh, very political. <laughs> just, I just enjoyed that. Um, it, it's sort of explained in that um, in that there, there's this entire second half of the book with this like evil like wizard lady name, but it's really more. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it it's really more. Um, this is sort of Bastion's like you know imagination, just supplying more for for Atreyu to fight. Uh, mm. The, the Gamork part of it like totally disappears after the first half of the book. Mm. Well, and so yeah, Gamork jumps uh, and he just gets torched. Right, the old classic, get him, get him in the underbelly. Um, and so at that point, the nothing has arrived, and so this wind is coming in and it's just blowing away Atreyu who ends up hanging onto the tree that is uh, and flying completely sideways. They built a gimbal for the entire set so they could turn the entire set sideways. So he's literally hanging there. He does not appear to be in a harness that I nope, could detect. Nope, he's not, he's not in a harness. <laughs> there is no protection. None. What I the just fuck? Like, it's so dangerous. Like That's insane. In that documentary, there was like it, like extended clips of this behind the scenes part. And I was so nervous watching it. I was like, is this another time the kid gets hurt? <laughs> like, it looks so bad. There's just a yeah, guy yeah, under him sure. to like catch him if he falls, but that's not enough. Yeah. That's that not brutal. That's not enough. That's brutal. Uh, but so now he is rescued by Falcor, but Fantasia has been destroyed. And so they're kind of flying through space and we see these big boulders and rocks. But they see that the tower still stands. The music here, so as beautiful. We have, as we have the approach, yeah, the score is great. It's stunning. It's yeah. stunning. It, it really works, and it just it really just keeps elevating and elevating and elevating. Um, and then him getting there and walking in uh, to the tower and it closing behind him. It's just freaking awesome. Um, but this is where uh, we see the Empress. Atreyu, why do you look so sad? So, impressions. Well, I think all three of the kids in this movie are fantastic. I also think Bastion's really, really good. He's a little wiener, but I love him. And then I think mm -hmm. she, uh, Tammy, what's her mm -hmm. Tammy Stronach is, is so, so mm -hmm. good. Um, she, being a child, an actual child, she lost her two front teeth. So she's wearing false teeth here. And it gives her like a really like whimsical lisp <laughs> that I love. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah she's I, so I think she's ethereal. Amazing. 
She's, she's so, so ethereal. Ethere- like just really like elvish looking. So mm-hmm. cool. It gives her like sort of an Aaliyah vibe. The list. Yeah. The, yes, the, the totally. I was thinking of Aaliyah right too. I mean, you know, for like obvious reasons. Yeah, I wonder if she could have played it. But um, so she basically, you know, he's he's he says that he's there to, you know, he's figured out what he needs to do. And she says that, you know, she knew the whole time, uh, which I love that he is he is really pissed. Um, <laughs> but then uh, she says he doesn't realize he's already a part of the never ending story. The never ending story. What's that? Just as he is sharing all your adventures. Others are sharing his. They were with him when he hid from the boys in the bookstore. But that's impossible! They were with him when he took the book with the orange symbol on the cover in which he's reading his own story right now. This is awesome because you are now hooked in to this movie. You are part of this story. Yes, this yeah. is so major. It's like, I mean, it, just that moment where you're just like, oh my God, I'm part of the never ending story is I think yes. one of the most brilliant, yeah. brilliant things that any storyteller has ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty wild. I mean, this is where this is where you do blow some young minds because it's like it's not just he's reading this right. Someone's watching him and he's like freaking out as he's like, what do you mean someone's watching me? It's great. I love that. This is again, it's like the Black Mirror episode. Everyone gets everyone hates whatever. This is like the the same thing, except, you know, for kids and a long time ago. (laughs) Shout out to you. Everyone despises Joan. What's that? (laughs) Oh, I Everyone haven't watched it yet. Everyone despises Joan. Yeah. Haven't, haven't watched it yet. But the interview from our dear friend Peter Kafka uh, of Charlie Brooker was amazing. Uh, people mm. should listen to that. Good plug. Good plug. Um, so this is the last chance to be saved as the tower is falling apart. And this moment where it, she breaks the fourth wall to look at the audience and Bastion. Bastion. Yeah. Why don't you do what you dream, Bastion? Get my feet on the ground. Don't call my name. <laughs> my Bastion. dad needs to drink his eggs. <laughs> I, I will do what I dream. Swim <laughs> exactly. I gotta go I'll learn do butterfly. I will do what I <laughs> so this is why I'm thinking of this movie because the yelling that happens here. Um, is not that like the 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 subtitles do not reveal what he says. So right. let's get into it. This okay. Yeah. This like <laughs> opened up a generation of like people being like, "What the hell did did Bastion scream?" So in the right. book, it's Moonchild. That's that was his mother's right. name, I guess. Her his grandparents were hippies. Makes sense. In the in the movie, Wolfgang Peterson wanted to like empower the actor. Um, Barrett Oliver to, you know, to be part of the story as well. So he says, you can yell whatever you want because there's going to be this big clap of thunder because we want the audience to be able to think, to To supply whatever name they want. He said, now, just so you know, in the the book, it's Moonchild, but you don't have to say Moonchild. You can say whatever you want. And so it has been unintelligible for so long, but this time I watched his lips and he does say Moonchild. So he decided to go with Uh, Moonchild. And Tammy on... Tammy Stronach on Twitter said it was Moonchild as well. Um, and she's like a really good sport about 
like she she like goes like screenings in the never ending story and stuff like that. Like she's happy to still be the childlike empress, which is nice. Yeah, she and, and Noah Hathaway, I think, have been the most like vocal proponents of it. The, they're always at conventions and a lot of the like nice. sort of tidbits I have now have come from interviews they've done over the years. Noah Hathaway, I don't know what his own inclinations or marital status is, but that he can get it. If he goes to a convention, like get there's going no, the, to be a fucking line. <laughs> He's still so hot. Like I'm now yeah. as an adult allowed to say that the adult version of him is hot. Um, yeah. But he and his wife own a tattoo studio in LA. So that's what that's he's good. up I to. I mean, like, yeah. I like just, I can't like, I, a generation of people. So true. Line so up around true. the block. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Good for him. Good for yeah. him. Congratulations. I, I yelled your name this time, H, when I watched oh. the movie. <laughs> to name to na- to name Crystal to Crystal's name, like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so now we are rebuilding Fantasia, and the Empress offers Bastion a grain of sand uh and wishes. And I love this. This is very different from what you typically have. How many wishes do I get? As many as you want. And the more wishes you make. The more magnificent Fantasia will become. Really? Try it. And my first wish is. And we have the song, and we have Atreyu, we have Artax. It's just amazing. It's amazing. It really is great. Uh, I love that his wishes are one retcon, like just wants to like completely. <laughs> Erase the history. Uh, yes, Artax did not die. Didn't, didn't, didn't die. No memories just, of that. Yeah. yeah, just wipe the whole slate clean. We're starting over. And number two, vengeance. Like his his two wishes are yes. retcon and yeah. vengeance. Yeah. So so now he is riding Falcor into the real world, um, and through the streets of Gastown uh, in Vancouver. And so you know, with roars from Falcor. So. This was apparently created by Wolfgang Peterson, right? This is not in the yeah. book at all. And this is one of the things that Michael had such a hard time with. So this is this is where it gets like kind of tricky from like I, I totally see where Enda is coming from because in the book it ultimately is that um the theme is that Bastion's supposed to be happy with who he is. And so he he is taken to Fantasia. Falcor doesn't come to the real world. And he mm. every wish he makes, he forgets more and more about himself. So he wishes mm. himself to be like a brave warrior, like a Treyu, and he's really fit. He's not bad anymore. And like, but he just keeps forgetting more and more about his human life. So it's sort mm. of like the whole point of the childlike empress telling him he has unlimited wishes is for him to ultimately realize that he was exactly who he was supposed to be all along and you know that wow. and the I, I love the way the movie ends I think and you can't fit all you honestly cannot fit all of that well into a 90 minute movie um mm-hmm. but I I think I, I understand where he's coming from that like thematically it definitely leaves out like a really important thing where it's like the wishing's good and it isn't <laughs> it's like just <laughs> That's you know inter- love yourself as you are Bastion yeah Interesting. The notion in fantasy stories of where the child hero ends up subsumed in the fantasy world as like a dark element, as like a sort of a a dark ending is so interesting. I love I love that. Like another version of that is like essentially Narnia, 
Like it's a yeah. like essentially yeah. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because the kids end up becoming like kings and queens of Narnia for like twenty years or whatever. Yeah, and like basically forget that they're kids and like you know totally like have this whole other life and like then end up by accident by chasing the stag like in being kids again, which is like low key horrible. Like I mean, like to just go <laughs> from course. being an adult to like oh yeah, by the way, now you're nine and and it's the the blitz is on. So enjoy that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough I, one. That's a tough one. I think I think you're right that this is. I, I hadn't thought about that before, but this is totally inspired by that because he goes on like the childlike empress then kind of vanishes, and he goes on to be emperor of Fantasia. Right. He, like, every he he like makes all of these changes that are like really like horrible. Like he and right this this um, knight says that he wants to like win a lady's love, and so he invents a dragon for the knight to conquer. So he impresses the lady, but the knight doesn't kill the dragon, and the dragon goes on this like rampage. Like it gets really dark. It's really good. Yeah, but huh. I understand how they couldn't fit it. And in the first movie and then the second movie extremely loosely and terribly adapts it but they at least ultimately um hit upon some of those themes huh the labyrinth sort of flirts with this too like with the scenes where she like is you know in like the pit and she's like forgetting who she is um because she's like picking up all the junk uh that's like right. in her fake bedroom i like, don't forget your panda slippers like that whole <laughs> that whole thing and then but and then it, she remembers you know she kind of snaps out of the fantasy but at the end she's able to like the fantasy creatures are able to come into her reality so that she can mm-hmm. still enjoy like that's like the falcor ending best of, of both worlds yeah. yeah the best of both mm. worlds which is what we which is what we have here mm. and we end with bastion made many other wishes and had many other amazing adventures before he finally returned to the ordinary world. But that's another story. Credits. I love that it ends on that line. Yeah. Because several times throughout the book, and I think this is really cleverly done, He'll, he'll introduce a, a small character and then I'll say, but that's another story and will be told another time. So he indicates, mm. that's the reason all of these stories are so abbreviated about these other characters right. like the rock biter. He indicates, oh, there's much more out there. We're just not telling that story today, which I always what? found really sort of grandiose as a kid. I'm like, oh, there's so much more to be told. You know? Yeah. Someone should make the rock biter prequel, like make the gritty rock biter. <laughs> the gritty, oh yeah. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> who who his, does the his, voiceover at the end? Who says that at the end? Made many more wishes and said time for that's story. that's who's, Alan Oppenheimer, what? same as Falcor, same as Gamorg, oh. and same as Rockbiter. Because like, is there any other voiceover like that? Like, is there? Because no. like, the rest of the voiceover is in Bastion's voice. Yeah, that's the only that's the only narrate uh, narration, and it's only in the English version. He, um, they don't have that at all in the German version, and people oh, German audiences thought that they were. Yeah, he, they're like we got it. He he went on record to he say did so that, much. Yeah, the Wolfgang Peterson got four voiceovers for the price of one. He only paid him for like one day, and he was like just knocked it all out. So yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Uh, let's see, Moonchild. Who would Tilda Swinton play? Who would Tilda Swinton play? I I oh man, I don't have an answer at the ready. Uh, Art Artax. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Artax. <laughs> Just CGI her face on there? Yeah, I, I, I believe she could do it. I believe she could embody Artax. I'm going to go with Falcor. Mm, yeah. I, I'd, love, I'd love to see her in a nurturing role, um, I think would be interesting. 
I think she could play the scientist at the Oracle stuff if you wanted to go for something that wouldn't be oh. that hard and would kind of just she would just kill. But I actually think that I would do a de-aged Tilda Swinton as the childlike empress. Yes. Mm. That would be my choice. I, I changed Tilda my answer. For the childlike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, Deepfake uh, Tilda. I, I changed my answer to Coriander. She's the bookseller. Oh, she's the oh. bookseller. That's oh, good. that's a good idea. What if nice. Tilda Swinton does a one-man show of Never Ending Story? Plays every part like Patrick Stewart does for A Christmas Carol. Opening good night. <laughs> You're Front there. row center, I'm there. <laughs> We're there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, let's let's do some letters here, guys. Here is our first one. The truth sayer. All right, Truthsayer time. Beeria here. For the never-ending story, Truthsayer, we're going to focus on Alan Oppenheimer. He's the voice actor for Falcor, along with the voice of Gamak, Rockbiter, and the narrator of the film. Oppenheimer has so many voice acting and character roles to his credit, uh, it'd be fairly easy to get lost if somebody <clears throat> were to make some stories up. Here's three stories about Alan Oppenheimer. Two are false. One is true. It's time for the truth saying. Number one. In the original run of the Smurfs cartoon, Alan Oppenheimer did the voice of Vanity Smurf. Or is it number mm, two? In the animated show The Jetsons, Oppenheimer was the original voice of Astro the dog. Or is it number three? When he was a small child, Oppenheimer used to go to work with his father in New Mexico. On one fairly notable day, there was a nuclear explosion near his father's <laughs> work site. No serious long-term health issues from that day for young Alan, other than the fact that his voice became extraordinarily pliable and expressive. He would also later go on to work at Mattel, where he became the doll model for Ken's buddy, Alan. Those are the three stories about the voice actor of Falcor, Alan Oppenheimer. Which one is true? Wow. Amazing Barbenheimer, love, Diane. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing Barbie Heimer, Diane. Yeah. Did not see that it's coming. Really strong. It's a really strong hook. Um, <laughs> I'll go with Astro. I think it's, I'm going with Astro too. I'm going to go my with feeling. I'm going with Vanity. I'm going with Vanity because I want that one to be true. All right. Let's see. Okay. Alan Oppenheimer's a badass. Still alive as of this recording, 93 and living in New York. He was also uh, on Hogan's Heroes, Mighty Mouse, and he was the voice actor for Skeletor on He-Man. Wow. Which one of those three stories was correct? It was number one. Alan played Vanity Smurf yeah. in the original Smurf series. Wow. Uh, yeah, well done. He's not actually Oppenheimer's son. See, never give up and good luck will find you. Here ends the truth saying. Woohoo! Man, so good. That's a good. That's a that's a bunch of good credits. Yeah, Skeletor, yeah. come I, on! Iconic, iconic voice. All right, thank you so much, Beria. Here comes Ethan. Hashtag, bring back horse death. Metaphorically, <laughs> of course. I've had the privilege of growing up in a time when kids' movies are willing to approach complex emotions and ideas. You know, that's really great especially the animated ones. It's wonderful, inside out, beautiful stuff. But, but like, you guys, your movies you had when you were a kid, we need to bring that shit back. We need to scare mm -hmm. the shit out of children. We need kids' <laughs> movies that ruin their days. Mm -hmm. Kids need to see the Skeksis torture each other, puppet <laughs> birds. Kids need to see Artax sinking in that big bog 
type thing, kids need to see like Optimus Prime being executed. Mm. It's so important for children to have a movie that is an absolutely vile experience that they always come back to. <laughs> and for me personally, Revenge of the Sith. That's the fun one that I watch as a kid. I think, oh, this is the one that has General Grievous. Four arms. He's got four arms. And then Hayden Christensen gets burnt alive yeah. in front of me. Pretty good. What's your What's your kid's movie that ruined your day? <laughs> Vital to your growth as a human being. Hashtag bring it back. Bring back horse death in kids' movies. <laughs> Meredith, <laughs> bring back horse death. First of all, I'm so glad that he mentioned Optimus Prime because before that was even said, I was thinking, yes, that's true because I actually learned about death with Optimus Prime because I, after the movie, I was like, when's Optimus Prime wow. coming back? And my mom said, never. And I was like, but, but he'll be back. He actually was back. So this was <laughs> confusing. But I was like, he'll, he'll be back on the show yeah. though, right? She's like, no, honey, he's dead. And she had to like explain death to yeah. me <laughs> because of Optimus Prime. Wow. So um, I... I would have to say that that's the one that, that shaped me. Obviously, Artax, but that one, like, I was, yeah. I was young enough that it really, uh, I, like, learned something by it. Wow. Amazing. Jason? That's a tough one. I mean, the opening of Dumbo is fucking horrific. I mean, Dumbo as a whole is, is just canceled. But, like, the, the fact <laughs> that the mom, like, you know, like, gets essentially put in solitary confinement and has to, like you know, like try to comfort her infant, her child elephant, like through the bars of her cage. I mean, is <laughs> it's pretty freaking <laughs> wild for a kid's movie, a kid's animated movie. I mean, that's like more, that's like more than Bambi because like Bambi, the death happens off screen and is like, yeah. you know, kind of halfway through or something like that. This is like yeah. the setup is like <laughs> this mama elephant is being taken away from her kid and like imprisoned and chained down. And like, it's so like violent. Uh, so that one really, that one really stands out for me. Yeah. I really feel for you. That's a tough one. Um, so for me, my dad was like, Hey, you like sci-fi movies. Let's check out the sci-fi movie. It's called clockwork orange. Um, and I think <laughs> oh, I was Jesus. like 11, I think I was like 11 or 12 that's or something. Like, early. Uh, but by the, it, it, Ian, I mean, that's uh, not a kid's uh, movie. That's, I just say I saw it as a kid and, and that definitely, that definitely rocked my world. Say I never looked at singing in the rain, uh, the same. <laughs> oh my God. Woo. Thanks Ian for the horse death memories. Ethan. Kinder trauma. Let's go for Kev. Hey guys, it's Kev here. First off, just wanted to say thanks to H for joining us on Austin danger pod woo, for our Pee Wee's big adventure slash mm-hmm. Paul Rubin's memorial episode. Um, people are into that sort of thing. They should come check us out. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about the Pee-wee phenomenon and the legacy of Pee-wee and Paul, as well as the film. Uh, we didn't like quote every line or whatever. We're not that kind of show, but, uh, it's a really great discussion. Thank you H for showing up on that. Hell yeah. Kev's question this week, we are finally covering the never ending story. And instead of just asking a question about the never ending story, I'm going to ask something in the format of the New York State Regents exams. Compare and contrast the following. The never-ending story, The Princess Bride, and Labyrinth. Which one do you think is the best and why? So again, three films enter, one film leaves, The Princess Bride, Labyrinth, and The Never-Ending Story. Uh, Thanks as always to the editing team, to the Chuckle Hut. Mm. Peace and love, and I will talk to you guys next week. Once again, 
It's Kev's Questions. Wow. Good question. And we've talked about all of these. We talked about all of these during the They've course of this covered. podcast. So Kev, yes. always one step ahead. All, all one step ahead. What do you, what think, do you think, Meredith? Luke? Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are three movies that I love that were very, very formative for me um, as a kid. I think Princess Bride is objectively the best movie. Um, I, I I love all of them. I think that Labyrinth and Neverending Story have a lot of like nostalgia shine on them that um, overlooks some like, you know, weird narrative and plot stuff or like weird tonal stuff. I don't think Princess Bride has any of that. I don't think anything needs to be like glossed over with like the, you know, distance of years. It's a perfect film today. I I completely agree. This is this is my pick as well. I, I think Princess Bride is just so much more cleverly written, um, and it's I think it's like a fun. It's it just holds up better. Like as an adult, like you enjoy the Princess Bride, like kind of unironically or not just because it meant something to you as a kid. Like it, it it's so well written. It's like there's so many great moments. We talked about it a lot when we did the Princess Bride, but like the the stuff the man the fact that it manages to do like kind of like high fantasy like, you know, like meaningful revenge, but at the same time being so arch is really an accomplishment of filmmaking. So um, that's my pick as well. Boom. It's a triple. Uh, I will also go with that. I just want to put yeah. Labyrinth in last place um, because oh, damn. I, I, I don't, no one, no one asked. That wasn't the question. <laughs> so I, no one said, <laughs> no one said I can want, you shit on something on the way out the door? I just want, I want to go on record for everybody that I'm putting the never-ending story above Labyrinth. Above Labyrinth. That's good. Okay. okay. I'm That's the hero the people needed. Um, <laughs> and so and so we did it. Thank you. All Thank right. you, Kev, right. for, for almost tearing us apart. All right, our final voicemail. Escape back. Hey, this is Corey from Austin, Texas, calling about the never-ending story from 1984. Oh my gosh, the hat is back, baby. Born Identity, take a hike. Let's <laughs> talk about some real fucking fantasy films on Escape Hatch. I love this movie so much. Um, probably because I was 12 when it came out, so I was really in the zone for it. Um, I do think this... Right, so, I like this better than The Princess Bride, even though Whoa. I think The Princess Bride is a better movie. That makes sense. Mm, I think this mm. nostalgia and just, you know, this movie is for readers. Like, the kid's a reader. He loves reading. There's, like, secret books and shit that you can interact with. This was right up my alley. I was an indoor kid, a nerdy kid, a reader. And and I hated bullies, and I had been bullied before. I've been chased by bullies before. So this book was, like, or this movie was right up my alley. Anyway, disappearing into a book was what I was all about. Mm. So, and comic books, of course. But anyway, I love all the puppets in this. There's, like, not a real little person as the as the snail guy, but he's kind of a little person. But there are some little people in like the little uh, <laughs> like kingdom scene there, whatever with the with the princess or whatever she is. I love those kind of scenes. It's kind of like um, you know, like uh, Mosaic's Cantina or Flash Gordon. Yes, um, you know Ming's throne room. Kind totally, of thing. I love it when there's a bunch of weird ass creatures mm -hmm. that you don't even get any backstory for, and you get to make it up as you go along when you're looking at them or when you watch the movie multiple times and just wonder what their little worlds are like or what little places they inhabit. I'm all into that shit. Uh, the kid's great in this. I think he was also in that Daryl movie. I think he was a robot in that or something, and he flew a yeah. jet. 
I don't really ah. remember Daryl. So I wasn't really into it. Fashion's um, Daryl. Falcor's jam. And I mean, let's just jump right to it. Who would Tilda Swinton play? <laughs> Fucking Falcor. Could you imagine her <laughs> yes. face as the front of that luck dragon? Oh, it is a really good, gorgeous. it is a really good I'm choice. I'm in heaven. Just it's a really good choice. <laughs> All right. I can't wait to hear how much H loved this movie. I'm sure he has zero negative things to say about it. And Mr. Goldman, I'm assuming you as well love this movie. I know you do because you've got an end to that. I before. do. I do. And of course, I that do. horse dies. Everybody's sad. <laughs> We're only human. We do. We have these big emotions. Can shit. you imagine a horse dying of sadness? That fucking sucks. All right. Yeah. Love you guys. Talk to y'all next week. Woo, Corey. Love you, Corey. Amazing. Amazing. I. I think he he brings up a good point that I is exactly the reason that I love both this book and this movie right off the bat. It's what I call a bookish book. It's like a book about books, <laughs> a book for mm-hmm. people who love book books. Wise. It's like yeah, book wise, like just so so good. And and there's this part um, when he's in Coriander's bookshop. This is my favorite passage from any book ever. That it's like. Uh, if you've never, you know, stayed up too late at night with your head under the covers reading a book while, you know, some well-meaning adult tried to tell you to go to sleep. If you've never, you know, wept bitter tears at the loss of a of a character that you love so much and have spent so many uh, days with, uh, then you won't understand what Bastian did next. He stole the book. Um, I just love that part so much. Because yes. it's like speaking straight to you. It's like, if you love books, you'll get it. He's, he stole the book, you know. Yeah. Hell Yeah. I read the Red That's Wedding. Great. I saw. I remember when that happened. <laughs> Dang, we did it, you guys. Uh, let's see, Meredith, what do you have to plug? Uh, you know, not a lot. Uh, Fangoria. You can go to uh, Fangoria.com and subscribe. It's a wonderful magazine, and you know, otherwise, just. That's it. <laughs> Germany, Damn, still, I guess. Plug, still plugging away on uh, is the other I project still, still, pl- still plugging away at my book, but it's going to be a while before uh, that that's in anyone else's hands. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Jason, how about you? What do you have to plug, bud? Um, I previously on this podcast had said that there was nothing that was wrong in my life that couldn't be solved by playing seventeen hours of Crusader Kings three straight. Yes. And I would like to amend and revise that statement that I would now like to play 170 hours of this new Baldur's Gate Gate 3, which which seems amazing. And I don't have I am like I'm on vacation and I don't have any PC or console or anything to play it on. So I cannot. So you haven't started it. No, I have not even downloaded. I cannot partake, but it seems amazing. Everything I see about it seems phenomenal and I'm ready to dedicate my life to it. (laughs) Uh, all I saw about it was some very questionable uh, PC generation uh, options. So I was not expecting to see some of the things that I saw. So I don't know about that. I'm ready to I'm ready to sign over my life to this game. I'm prepared. <laughs> I wish you best luck. You're going to be back in San Francisco and you'll be time to get to work. So I, unfortunately, yeah. I probably have to put that off. We got a lot of pods coming up. So classy. <laughs> Nothing like just, just welcome, welcome to my life, Meredith. I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this video game. It's like, I too bad that's not gonna no, happen for you. You gotta record not. all these fucking pods. <laughs> Good try. Good try. And that's it for this episode of Escape Patch. I want to thank Jason and Meredith for an amazing conversation, as always. Next week, it's the return of the co-host of Pod Save the World. Ben Rhodes. We cover Spike Jones' AI relationship classic starring Joaquin Phoenix, Her. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. 
Take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or just tell your friends about us because it really does help new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want, and a Patreon where you can support us and unlock exclusive perks. Links are in the show notes. Escape Patch is a Tape Deck Podcast John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Scott Fritz and Who's the Boss Music. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. Turn around. Look at what you see. In her face. The mirror of your dream. Make believe I'm everywhere. Give it in the light. Written on the pages is the answer to a never ending story.